the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. The title of the message today is, What God Requires of Us in 2020. What God Requires of Us in 2020. In the history of every nation and people, certain men and women emerge as heroes. It's not easy to say precisely what makes a person a hero beyond the admiration and prestige accorded him or her by contemporaries or later years. Whatever be the definition of a hero, Martin Luther King Jr. was acknowledged by our nation to be one when Congress declared his birthday to be a national holiday. Like the prophets of the Old Testament, Dr. King had a message to deliver to a society weighed down by the evils of racism, poverty, and materialism. He spoke to the conscience of this nation as no one had done before. He believed that the only way America could be saved from moral and social chaos was for its people to return to their biblical heritage. He was fond of quoting the words of the prophet Micah, for Micah was faced with a situation not unlike that which Martin Luther King faced in the second half of the 20th century. In the Israel of Micah's day, the judges were unjust, the rulers corrupt, the prophets preached for money, and materialism was rampant. The rich were always extending their estates, crushing the poor and driving the people from the soil. Those in authority were only concerned about their own gain. They even exploited their religion. They tried to ease their conscience by making the temple more magnificent than ever. But Micah saw through their hypocrisy and pronounced God's judgment upon them. In fear, the people inquired in Micah chapter 6, 6 and 7, What offering should I bring when I bow down to worship the Lord God Most High? Should I try to please him by sacrificing calves a year old? Will thousands of sheep or rivers of olive oil make God satisfied with me? 
Should I sacrifice to the Lord my firstborn child as payment for my terrible sins? And so Micah answered in verse 8. He said, No, O people, the Lord has already told you what is good. And this is what he requires to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah tells us three things that God requires of us, his people, not only to those in the Old Testament, but also to us living under grace in the 21st century. First, he says that God wants us to do what is just, or as the NIV translation says, God requires us to act justly. To act justly means to do what is right. Justice is rooted in God's character and therefore is a quality found in a person who loves the Lord. Those who love him work for fairness and equality for all, particularly the weak, the vulnerable, and the powerless that are exploited by others. It's not enough to wish for justice or to complain that there is a lack of justice. Instead, we are to work for justice. This is acting justly. Justice is not something we need to talk about. It is something that we need to do. Because God is a just God, he requires us to act justly. In Amos chapter 5, 21 through 24, uh, we read, The Lord says, I hate your religious festivals. I cannot stand them. When you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not accept the animals you have fattened to bring as offerings. Stop your noisy songs. I do not want to listen to your harps. Instead, let justice flow like a stream and righteousness like a river that never goes dry. And so the question is, if God is just, why then are we surrounded by so much injustice today? Of course, you could go into a long dissertation about, about sin and its consequences, etc. Two people were heard talking about religion. One says to the other, Sometimes I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty, famine, and injustice when he could do something about it. Well, why don't you ask him, said the other. And his answer was, because I'm afraid God might ask me the same question. It's in practical terms, justice demands that no one receives preferential treatment because of the color of their skin or their social and financial status. Justice requires equal opportunity for everyone. When people want preferential treatment for themselves, but um, deny it to others, justice says no. When people want everything their own way, regardless of what happens to others, justice says no. 
These practices and attitudes are found not only in the world, but also in the church. For we often allow the world's standards and practices uh, to determine what we do in the church. But God expects his children to act differently from the world. The church is a community of redeemed people, a community of love and forgiveness, not a community of the greedy, the uncaring, the unforgiving, or the unloving. The Apostle Peter in First Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the practices of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We are the people of God, says Peter. The question then we have to ask ourselves is, do I act with fairness in my dealings with others? Do I act with justice in my dealings with others? Do I do to others as I want them to do to me, or do I follow the world's standard and do to others before they do to me? Our relationship to God requires us to act justly at all times. But justice is not just a private matter. We have to do all in our power as citizens and members of this society to ensure that our institutions are fair and just to everyone. It is this that distinguished Martin Luther King from the vast majority of religious and political leaders of his day. His mission as a civil rights leader was to call the nation to act justly towards all of its citizens as a requirement of God. But the second thing, Micah says, is God wants us to love mercy, or God requires us to love mercy. Justice by itself can be cold, severe, and unresponsive to human needs. Justice needs mercy if it is to be truly humane. Mercy means kindness, compassion, and it goes beyond what is merely fair, just, and legal. You see, if God treated us according to justice, then none of us would be here today. It is his mercy rather than his justice that has allowed us another day of life. It is his mercy that lifted us out of our sin and shame and made us his chosen people. It is because of God's mercy that we are now members of his family. It is because of God's mercy that we have eternal life. It is because of God's mercy that we can go to him when we sin and say, as David did in Psalm 51 and verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. For the word tells us in Psalm 103 and verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. 
Because God is a merciful God and we are his children, he requires that we love mercy and show mercy to others. When you love mercy, you do not seek revenge on someone who has wronged you. When you love mercy, you do not try to get even with your enemies. Rather, you love your enemies and do good to those who insult you, persecute you, and lie about you. Mercy goes beyond the bounds of duty. It wants the best for the other person. It does not think of self first, but of others and their needs. To love mercy is to be like Christ, and therefore mercy should be a characteristic of the Christian, those who name the name of Christ. The story is told of a man and his wife who went to a restaurant uh, that featured steak and salad. As they were eating, a waitress came out with a five-gallon bucket of Thousand Island uh, dressing uh, to fill up the salad bar. Her heel caught in something and the five-gallon container of dressing spilled all over the man. The man got ballistic and started calling this poor girl every name that he could think of. He says, I can't believe just how stupid you are. Look at this. This is the first chance I have had to wear this suit. It cost me $350 and you have completely ruined it. His wife chimes in, that's right, it's a $350 suit. Everyone by this time in the restaurant was watching and the man demanded, I want to see the manager. The manager comes out and tells the, the man, sir, we'll clean the suit for you. And the man says, I don't want my suit cleaned, I want a new suit I want a check right now for $350. The manager disappeared and the man went with him and he probably wrote a check and justice was served. But what's interesting about this story is that it happened on a Sunday afternoon. The likelihood is that the man and his wife had just come from hearing a sermon on loving your neighbor as yourself. See, people who work in the food, in food service say that the very worst people to wait on are people who just get out of church on Sunday. And that's tragic because we are called to love one another like Jesus. There are too many people calling themselves Christians who have no difficulty fulfilling the requirement of justice but fall short on mercy. They want to see people get their just desserts. Mercy requires that when you see suffering, you do something about it. You can't do everything, but you can do something. Some of you are a little older may remember a story that took place about um, almost 50 years ago. I believe the name of the young lady was Kitty Genovese. The setting was the streets of New York City in the evening, but not too late. She was being assaulted by a man and began to scream. 
He told her to shut up, but she kept on screaming. She screamed for about 15 minutes until he dragged her off to the side and killed her for her money. When the police investigated, they asked the neighbors in the apartment buildings, did you hear anything? It turned out that 36 people heard Kitty scream, and some of them even opened their window, looked out, saw her being assaulted, and yelled, shut up, we are trying to sleep. When asked that if they saw it happening, why didn't they do something? All 36 people said the same thing. We didn't want to get involved. God says when you see hurt, when you see the needy, you need to do something about it. You can't just walk by. You can't pretend you didn't see it because God sees the heart. God makes his judgment not on the basis of what you, you thought, not on the basis of what you said or felt, but on the basis of what you actually did in that situation. Good intentions don't really count. Mercy means treating people better than they deserve to be treated, even when you don't feel like it. A mother once approached the great French general Napoleon, seeking pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well then, Napoleon said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. That's mercy, undeserved kindness. I don't have to tell you how you can show mercy. You know that situation you're thinking of, your kids, grandkids, your wife, your neighbor, your um, co-worker, uh, an employee. They don't deserve you to treat them right. But when you do, God is pleased because you are being most like him when you show mercy. But uh, thirdly, God requires or God wants us to humbly obey him. Uh, the NIV says to humbly walk with him. So the first two things Micah says God requires of us, acting justly and loving mercy, have nothing to do with God. They have to do with how we behave towards one another. Now, God expects his children to love and to get along with one another. He expects us to treat one another justly and fairly, and he expects us to love mercy and to show kindness towards one another. But the third expectation is that God wants us to have a right relationship with him. You see, that right relationship with God always begins with humility, not arrogance. 
The evidence of our walk with God will be seen in our acts of kindness, mercy, compassion, justice, and so on. But as soon as we feel like we are the ones responsible for these qualities, then we are not walking humbly with God. We are surrounded today by a me mentality. You could call it a me generation. It's all about me, my life, my money, my possessions, my relationships, my decision, my church, and my needs that need to be met. It's all about me, but when we walk humbly with God, it is his money, his possessions, his relationships, his church, and his will to be done. It's all about the Lord, our God. Humility is not thinking less of yourself than, than you ought. Nor is humility always talking about your faults and shortcomings. Humility is simply a recognition of the truth about ourselves that allows genuine concern for others to take place. God's promise to the humble can be seen in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. I am the high and holy God who lives forever. I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with people who are humble and repentant so that I can restore their confidence and hope. So what does God require of us in this new year of 2020? Justice, mercy, Humility. What God requires, he first gives to us, is that Jesus came to establish justice. He came to show mercy, and he came to lift up the humble. And I thank God today, especially for his mercy, for without mercy, we would all be doomed. Without mercy, there would be no forgiveness, no leniency, no pardon, no no pity. Because of His mercy, God, is compassionate toward us. He's gracious toward us. He's responsive to us, considerate of us, generous with us, and is faithful to us. And he forgives us when we confess our sins. Because of his mercy, God opens the windows of heaven, answers our our many prayers, supplies all of our needs, blesses us with daily benefits, renews our strength day by day, helps us through life's difficulties, leads us in the paths of righteousness, keeps us in the hollow of his hand, lifts us up when we fall and restores our fellowship with him. Because of God's mercy to us, he expects us as his children to offer sympathy to those who sorrow, assistance to those who are in need, comfort to those who fear, encouragement to those who are discouraged, and healing to those who hurt. God expects us to strengthen the weak, comfort the dying, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and be good to all people, especially to those who are our fellow Christians. In the words of one of our spirituals, Lord, I want to be a Christian. In my heart, in my heart, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Lord, I want to be like Jesus. In my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be like Jesus 
in my heart. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 8 a.m. and at 1045 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www. Dot pbcboston.org and tune in every Saturday morning at 10:30 for another inspiring message of hope and faith. <laughs>